Come on, give Jesus the best praise you've given him all night long, everybody. Oh, yeah. Stay standing. I, I, no, 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 no. You can't sit down yet. Stay standing. I'm so glad you're here uh, this weekend to church, everybody. And before you're seated, let me just take a moment and welcome everybody who's joining us, other locations, those joining us online tonight, wherever you are around the world, watching on vacation. If you're on a beach somewhere, we hate you. You know that. We're all... <laughs> Because we're not, and uh, we, we, we don't like that, so don't tell us about it, but thanks for joining in church this weekend, and a very, very special weekend, because right now, joining in with us, while I'm in Houston, in San Antonio, Texas, the church I pastor, City Hills Church, just joined us. Come on, put your hands together, everybody. Welcome them. I love you. Come on, do better than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love you in San Antonio. I still don't like the Rockets. Go Spurs, go. You can be seated. That's real, though. Y'all got to know that nobody cares about the Warriors or the Cavs. Anyway, whatever. So glad you're in church this weekend. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Actually kicking off a great, great time at Hope City this whole summer in summer revival. You've never been a part of this. I was a part of it last year. I had the opportunity to do that and actually get the privilege of preaching in Hope City uh, a little bit throughout the year, and always an honor to be uh, with you. I want to jump right into uh, God's Word, and uh, I, I really, honestly, I'm a news junkie. Anybody a news junkie? Anybody but me a news junkie? I'm not really into sports except the Spurs, because they win, and except this year, Kawhi, any, whatever. So I'm a news junkie, though. I love watching the news. Matter of fact, Brandy and I, we fight sometimes, she'll... I'll fall asleep on the couch, and, you know, the news is on, CNN's on, or Fox News is on, and, and she'll wake up in the middle of the night, and, you know, there's bombs going off or whatever. She's like, why do you do that? I hate when you do that. But I just love it. But honestly, recently, the past year, two years, three years maybe, it feels like things gotten crazy, y'all. I'm just going to be honest with you. How many of you feel like the world's gone absolutely bananas? We're head on that. Like, everything has just gone absolutely crazy. People is, uh, they're just acting crazy. Some of y'all acting crazy. Like, the whole world's just upside down. And to be honest, you know, we kind of live in this world where what, what you know to be right is looked at as wrong. And what you know is wrong is looked at as right. I don't know, like, at what age you have to be, whatever it is, I'm kind of, I'm there where you watch the news and you go, that wasn't the way it was when I was young. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that, that's not the way that I was raised to think about that. Everything seems upside down. Not, not trivial stuff either. I'm talking about big stuff. You watch the news and it's racism and it's abuse and it's hashtag me too. And, and it's exploitation, and it's human trafficking, and it's, and it's political. There's a ticking time bomb. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, y'all, it's cray-cray. You understand what I'm trying to tell y'all? Like, the world's gone absolutely crazy. And the question sort of arises as Christians, what do you do? How do you live your life? How do you live godly in a world that's gone crazy? How do you honor God? In every decision of your life, in your marriage, in a relationship, as a parent, how do you honor God as a single adult? How do you honor God as a student? How, how, do, you, how do you live your life in a way, a godly way, when culture is shifting? When things that used to be right are, are now everybody says they're wrong, but you know they're not. This stuff that used to be wrong, everybody says it's okay, and you know it's not. How do you live your life when the world, even further than that, I'll, I'll take it further than that. How do you stand firm on the stuff that you know that you know and 
love well. Let me say that again. How do you stand firm on the stuff that you know that you're supposed to live your life, the stuff that is in God's Word, the stuff that you know morality and and your values and honoring God and following Jesus? How do you do that? How do you stand firm on that? But don't be a jerk about it. How do you love people well while standing firm? I don't know if you were raised in a religious sort of context. Uh, Where's all my church people? You were raised church. Come on, churchy people. I'm churchy. Woo, I was raised churchy. Y'all don't know about me. I got this little black bishop that lives on the inside of me. (laughs) Y'all don't even know. He wears a robe and a chain. Y'all don't know about that. I was raised churchy, high church. And and if if you were raised that way, you kind of, you know, unfortunately, at least in my context, I, I knew how to stand firm. I just didn't know how to love people well while standing firm. I knew how to point my finger and say, I know that's wrong, and so I guess you're going to hell. I'm not, thank God I'm not like them. I, that's the truth. And the, the, the older I got, especially in ministry, kind of the last maybe 10, 15 years of my ministry, really the biggest shift of my ministry happened when I realized that standing for something right and loving people well aren't mutually exclusive. You can have both. You can love people and still stand for what's right. Shout amen to that, everybody. You really can. How do you do that? How do you, how do, you do that? And honestly, when you look in the Bible, the best story I know to bring you this weekend is the, is the book of, of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, sort of lived this life that you and I are talking about, living in an ungodly culture, trying to stand firm on what he knows is right and still love well. He may be the, may be the best character in all of the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, in my opinion, that you can sort of look at a culture that's increasingly moving away from God And here you have Daniel standing firm when the world's gone crazy, when his world has gone crazy. Let me sort of give you a history. If you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, the book of Daniel is in the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, your Bible isn't laid out chronologically. In other words, it doesn't, when you read your Bible, the events didn't happen the way they're laid out in the books. Because sometimes you'll, you'll read like a story where David dies, and then the next book, David's writing songs. Come on, somebody, that's weird. You can't, like... So it's, it's, not, it's not laid out in order. Matter of fact, the Bible's laid out kind of like this. The first five books are the law. They're the law of God. If you're just Jewish, those are the Torah. That's the first five books. And right after the, those first five books is this giant history section that sort of gives the history of the people of God, the nation of Israel. Right after that's poetry. If you're into that and you're a dude, whatever, that's okay, bro. Nobody's judging you, but... Probably read some history too. Anyway, so there's a, there's a big poetry section right there, five books in that. And then, and then the prophets sort of wind up the Old Testament. Now, there's major prophets and minor prophets. The only difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet is major prophets wrote bigger books. I like to also think that they're short because I think that's the way. Anyway, whatever. So I, they wrote a bigger book. Daniel wrote, a, he's a major prophet. He wrote a larger book in the Old Testament. And he writes this book sort of telling the history of what's happening in, in the nation of Israel at the time he's living. Daniel's actually, it's 12 chapters and it's divided right in the middle. The first six chapters are historical. You could probably put them in the history section of the Bible. The last six chapters are very prophetic. That's why it's, it's, in, the, it's in the prophecy section, the last section, right after, right after uh, you know, all the poetry, you see all that prophecy, and, and he's in that prophecy section. But honestly, the first six Chapters of the book are the one that most people know all the stories about. Lion's Den and, and, and you know, the, the, there's a statue erected and, and what happens in all of that. Daniel is the most quoted book in the book of Revelation. 
When you read the book of Revelation, it'll, it'll refer back to Daniel's vision about the end time. And he lives in this modern day, what is currently Iraq. It is Babylon at the time. So Daniel is a Jewish boy who has been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians invaded the nation of Israel and they actually take all of them captive. They take the entire nation captive and they're there for 70 years. It's called the captivity if you're, if you're new to the Bible. They actually they, they go into exile in, into there and the reason is because God told them, told the nation of Israel, if you keep turning your back on me this is going to happen. You're going to be a slave to somebody else. Let me pause right here and ask you a question. How many of you have noticed in your life, when you turn your back on God, something else always takes control of your life? Always is going to happen that way. When you turn your back on God, something steps in, takes you into captivity. Now you're living your life thinking you're free. Really, you're a slave to whatever that thing is. And the nation of Israel turns their back on God. God does exactly what he promises that will happen. Babylon comes, takes them into captivity, and Daniel is one of those Slaves. The problem is Daniel is living in this very secular culture in captivity, but Daniel's trying to honor God. Daniel's trying to live his life that honors God in a culture that does not. That sounds very familiar. He's trying to live a stand-up life in this bow down. Matter of fact, write it down in your notes like this. Culture tried to get Daniel to bow down to their gods. That's what they tried to get him to do in Babylon. But Daniel chose to, underline this, stand up in the middle of that culture. Culture tried to get Daniel, and it's, and it's doing the same thing to you. Just bow down and be quiet and don't say anything. And this is the way everybody thinks. And this is the way it's going to be here. And Daniel, you just need to bow down to that. And Daniel decides, and not only am I not going to bow down, I'm going to stand, I'm going to live a stand-up life in, in light of that. Like I can still stand for that. And we live in something pretty familiar to what I think Daniel lived in, in, in Babylon. And if Daniel can stand for God in his culture, listen to me, look at me in the eyes, you can stand for God in this culture. You don't have to bow down. You don't have to take it. You don't have to just say, well, that's just the way it is. The world's changing. Get with the times. Now, listen, the world's changing. Everything's moving at a fast pace. But this book does not change. Everybody shout a big amen to that. It's just the truth. It just doesn't change. And so Daniel's got, a, he's got this same dilemma that you and I have. How do I stand firm? How do I, how do I live a stand-up life in a bow-down kind of culture? Where they tell me that I'm old-fashioned and it doesn't work that way anymore and nobody thinks like that. But you know that God's called you to do that. And honestly, if you look around and you watch the news or you read the newspaper or you see anything else, you can spend a lot of time looking at the problem. Everybody knows what's wrong with the world. You know what I'm saying? Especially all your Facebook friends. I'm friends with some of y'all on Facebook. Some of y'all know what's wrong with the world. <laughs> they're always, everybody can tell you what's wrong. You know, they're the people that repost political posts. You know what I'm talking about? Just look straight ahead if that's you this weekend. Don't look at nobody. I know you. I can see you. I can see you in San Antonio. I really can. I just wanted to say that. So, you, 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 everybody can tell, oh, oh, this is, man, it's not like I used to be. And we say things like, man, it's not like it was when I was growing up. And, man, this world, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody ever say something like that? Yeah, the whole, like everything's falling apart. It's just, man, the whole thing, I don't even know what's wrong with people anymore, why they do what they do. Everybody knows the problem. Everybody highlights the problem. That's the problem with politics right now is everybody's pointing at the other person calling them the problem. 
Everybody can find the problem. Let me tell you the people who are going to change the world, people who know the solution. You know, the people that are going to survive a changing, shifting culture like Babylon are people that go, hey, I, I got an answer here. I, I'm not just identifying what's wrong with you. The thing I love about this church, the thing I love about the church I pastor in San Antonio is you're not in a church that's just going to point their finger at you and tell you what's wrong with you. You're in a church that's going to give you the solution to try to get it right in your life. Come on, shout amen to that, everybody. We're not just going to beat you down, tell you what's wrong, kick you while you're down, tell you it's never going to work, you're never going to get through, it's never going to happen. No, no, no. You're in a church this weekend that lifts you up and says, hey, there's a better way. God's got a plan for your life. God's got more for you. Shout amen if you believe that. I got a solution for you. And honestly, there's only, I think there's only two choices. I think there's only two responses when you realize the world's gone crazy and things are shifting and, and, and I'm living in a dark... I think there's only two, two responses that people have. I, I, every response I've ever seen falls into these two categories. Write these down if you're taking notes. The first one is that you just curse the darkness. You can just tell everybody how wrong they are. You can stand on the street corner with a t-shirt that says turn or burn. You know what I'm saying? Like... If you've got one of those, no, no problem. Just don't wear it here. You, you can just curse the darkness. You can post all you want to on Facebook about how the world has gone crazy and nothing's right and everybody's a sinner and nobody's going to make it and it's not like it used to be. And, and how, how, how in the world, how dare he say, she said, how dare they, that elected official, how dare you can just curse the darkness all day long. And honestly, social media gives you and I the platform to curse the darkness. Unfortunately, some Christians are taking so much advantage of it, it hurts the whole brand. Because we spend more time cursing the darkness than the other response. I think there's only two responses you have when culture is going crazy and you know you're supposed to stand up. Even when culture says bow down, you can either curse the darkness or you can shine the light. It's the only two choices you have. As a Christ follower, we can either curse the darkness or shine the light. We can either tell everybody how wrong they are, or we can live a life that honors God differently so that when people look at your life, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they see how you live your life, your good works, and then they turn their eyes towards God and glorify their Father which is in heaven. You've only got two choices. Daniel only had two choices, walking into Babylon. Can I just curse the darkness? Do I just tell everybody here, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're not worshiping the right God. You're not eating the right food. You're not living the right way. Everything's wrong. Or do I shine the light? Do I live in such a way that everybody looks at my life and says, man, if that's the kind of marriage we can have serving God, I want to serve that God. If that's the kind of purpose we can find, if we can find so much fulfillment and contentment like they seem to have, that's what I really want in my life. I want to shine the light that way. And Daniel chooses to do that. Daniel, the 12th chapter, says it like this. Those who are wise, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. I think the first part's a caveat. I've met some people who are good meaning, but they aren't wise. I've met some people who are right, but they aren't wise. Those who are wise will shine the light. They'll shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. 
And then God's prophesying to Daniel. Actually, this is, this is sort of the beginning of the prophecy in Daniel's life. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of this scroll until the end of the time. And many, in other words, in that end time, here's, let me give you a little prophecy about what's going to happen in the end time. Many will go here and there and say, I've got the answer. Increase in knowledge. Y'all don't know what's happening. You don't real you Christians are backwards. You Christians don't nobody thinks that way anymore. You Christians have had it wrong all this time. God tells Daniel, hey, by the way, in the end time, that's what's going to happen. People are going to go here and there looking for, always increasing in knowledge. But I don't want you to curse the darkness. I want you to shine a light. I want you to shine so bright. That even as people start turning against what God says and they know is right, everybody's going to go, I I just can't argue with how bright it is right there. The fact of the matter is there will be darkness in the world. There just will be. The Bible prophesies. Daniel goes on in his book to talk about the Antichrist and wars and and, and, things getting worse before they get better. Things getting darker and darker before they get better. Before Jesus returns, things going bad. But listen, here's the best part of this whole passage. Listen to me. Look at me in the eyes. The Bible said there will be a people. There will be a group of people in Houston. There'll be a group of people in San Antonio who are wise, who are filled with wisdom, who shine light in the darkness. And they're not just going to lead small little movements. They're not just going to lead small little lives and small little churches in a dark corner. He said, no, no, no. There are going to be many people led to righteousness because of how you shine your light. Come on, this what you're a part of is going to change the world. It's going to change the world. We're going to shine the light. He, He said it's not just going to be small. You're going to lead many people to righteousness by how you shine the light when culture is shifting. You know who he's talking about? He's not talking about somebody else. He's not talking about everybody else. He, he, he's talking, when, when Daniel is prophesying this, this is Daniel 12, this is part of the prophecy of Daniel. When he's prophesying this, listen, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about how you live your life. He's thinking about you in 2018 and, and the pressures and the news and the political climate and the racism and the race baiting and what, what, how they want you to feel about other people. And they t- Listen, none of us knew we hated anybody until the media told us we were supposed to. And so they tell you and they bait you and you go, I, that doesn't feel right. I don't know. That, I, that's not me. That's not who I am. And, and Daniel said, I know. I know that's not. And if you'll, if you'll stand up in a culture that tells you to bow down and you'll shine the light, many people will come to God because of it. You're a part of a church this weekend that many people are finding hope and life. Many people are finding the hope that their whole life has been searching for. You know why? Not because we get up every weekend pointing our finger telling you about the darkness. Because we get up every weekend shining the light as bright as we possibly can. That there's a better way. There's hope in Jesus. He can do anything. God can save anybody, heal anybody, fix anybody. Shout amen if you believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw you. He saw you. You know why? Because culture has a need. And culture's greatest need, write this in your note, is the church. Culture's greatest need is not a new politician. It's not a new news station. It's not even your opinion on Facebook. Culture's greatest need is the church. But not just any church. 
Culture's greatest need is a life-giving church. You know what I mean when I say life-giving? You know the difference in a life... You're, you're in a life-giving church this weekend. The difference in a life-giving church and one that isn't is... Maybe you grew up this way. I kind of know this feeling when you come to church and your head is hung down and your shoulders are low. And when you leave church, they're even lower. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're not in a church like that this weekend. No, no, no. A life-giving church. Culture doesn't need to be told what's wrong. They know what's wrong. They come. They come with their brokenness. They come with their addictions. They come with divorce and baggage and mess-ups. And I don't know what I did, and I don't know how it went this far. They already know how wrong they are. When they get to church, here's what I tell them in San Antonio. When you get here, there's enough hell out there. I want to get as close to heaven as I possibly can when I get in here. I I want you to lift up my head. Culture's greatest need is a life-giving church, a generous church, a serving church, a church that rolls their sleeves up and says, man, I'm in on that. If we're changing the world, I'm in on changing the world. If we can really love people like you say we can and still stand for something, get, tell me where to put a t-shirt on. Tell me what toilet I need to clean. Come on, somebody. Tell me where I need to start serving. Tell me what kid's room I need to be in. Tell me, where, tell me how to get on the growth track this week. Matter of fact, you can get on the growth track this weekend. You can join the team this weekend at all of our locations in San Antonio. Step two of the growth track is this weekend. You can roll your sleeves up and be a part of the solution and not just recognizing the problem. Shout amen to that. Because culture needs a church that serves and loves. A church that's relevant and fun and exciting. The culture needs a spirit-filled church. Culture needs a spirit-led church. Look at me in the eyes. If this isn't home to you this weekend, and wherever you call home, if it's not vibrant, I wouldn't go back. I know that's going to get me in trouble. Pastor Jeremy probably will text me from wherever he is. But I'm being as honest as I can be with you. If I didn't go to church where I could experience the presence of God, I would stay in my PJs and watch Golden Girls on television. You know what I'm trying to say to you. When I come to church, when you come, to, one of the things I love about this house is when you come, it's spirit-filled. Come on, I can raise my hands. Tears can fall out of my eyes. Nobody looks at me like I'm crazy because I can encounter the presence of God. The, the, the culture that we live in, it needs a church just like this one, like the one you're in this weekend. It's why, it's why I value something like Growth Track so much about you getting on the team, about you joining, the, joining a church. Because I think it's so important if you're going to change, the, if you're going to live that stand-up life in a bow-down kind of world, you're going to have to get connected to people who are changing the world. And culture needs a church just like us because God has a plan for the darkness. Listen. God has a plan for the darkness. He had a plan in Daniel's day, and he's got a plan in our day. And God's plan is not for you to fight on Facebook. It's not for you to stand on a street corner with a T-shirt that says, turn or burn. God's plan is not for you to curse the darkness. Matthew 5 says, you are the, everybody shout it. You're the light of the world. That's God's plan. Come on, point at yourself right in the chest. Poke yourself hard right in the chest. You are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. You are God's plan A to change the world. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. I like the way that sounds, by the way. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You, can, you are God's plan for a dark world. It's not somebody else. It's not somebody on the row beside you. It's not anybody else at another service and another church. No, no, no. God's plan is you are the light of the world. 
You're the light of the world. This is what God's called you to be. Daniel was the light in that generation. Daniel 6 says, now Daniel so distinguished himself. He changed. He wasn't like everybody else was. He so distinguished himself among the administrators and the rulers by his exceptional qualities that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, planned to set him over the entire kingdom. In other words, there were people watching his life. Look at me in the eyes. There are people on your job, in your office, on your corner, on your floor, in your neighborhood who are watching your life. And they may have something planned for you. You don't even know. Something good. But they're trying to see, how's he going to live this life? Has he distinguished himself? Is she, is she reflecting the culture or is she setting the culture? Is she, is she a thermostat that says, no, 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 we're not going to talk that way here, act that way here, look that way here. Nothing's going to ha- we're not going to be that here. Or are you just a thermometer that just says, well, if everybody else is doing it, I guess I'll do it. You okay? Everybody shout amen if you're still okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel just said, no, 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 I'm not going to live that way. I'm not, you know why? Because you can't make a difference. Write this down. You can't make a difference if you aren't different. <laughs> you, you can't make a difference if you aren't different. If everybody else on your floor in your office building has a marriage that's almost broken and falling apart and not good, doesn't honor God, how in the world are you going to shine a light that says, you know what, guys, there's a better way. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to cheat on our spouses. We don't have to be addicted to porn. We don't have to do none of that stuff. We can do something different. But you can't make a difference if you aren't different. Daniel distinguishes himself. Daniel says, I'm going to do something different. And Daniel, listen to me, he lived through four empires. Four empires, and in every one of them, Daniel had influence. Doesn't matter where God puts you. You can stand up when they say bow down. Because Daniel was an ambassador. Daniel said, I'm I'm not from here. I'm representing God. Listen, I'm not representing me and my ideas and my thoughts and my opinions or my political party. I'm, I'm an ambassador. I'm, I'm here to represent something else. I'm, I'm, I'm not, this isn't, honestly, this isn't even my home. The Second Corinthians says it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Here's your job in the earth to change the world. You say, well, what do we do? How do we change? Here's how. You're Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making, as though God were making his appeal to all of the world through you. You think about that for a moment. As though God was trying to save your neighborhood through you. As though God was trying to save your office, your family, your friends. If, as though he was trying to reach all of them through you. You're his ambassadors. Therefore, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Get your life right. That's my translation. Be reconciled to God. Get as close to God as you can get to because you're ambassadors. Listen, an ambassador represents their home country while they live and work in another country. He said there's, there's something else. This isn't even where I'm from. The country that they live in is not their home. I'm from somewhere else. I'm just here living temporarily trying to represent where I come from. I'm going to preach, my God. I feel so. i got to calm down. God, don't let me embarrass nobody. Philippians, I'm going to calm down. Maybe next service. Philippians says it like this. Our citizenship is in, shout heaven, everybody. You're not from here. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not from around here, are you? 
You're not from around here. You, you don't talk like everybody else talks around here. You don't live like everybody else lives around. You don't make decisions like everybody else. No, no, no. I don't live like nobody else. I don't talk like everybody else. I make decisions different than everybody else. I make choices different than my world makes choices. Why? Because I'm better than them? No, no, no. I'm just not from here. I'm just representing another land. I'm, I'm a citizen of somewhere else, and I'm just an ambassador here. I'm trying to represent who they are. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, I may live here, but I represent there. You may live in Houston, live in San Antonio, live in Cyprus, live in Katy, but I represent heaven. My life represents, that's why Jesus would pray it this way. He said, when you pray, ask this, say, God, I want your will on the earth as it is in, because I'm an ambassador here. Because I represent there. I'm not even from here. Listen, the ambassador, when he comes on a foreign land, listen close. He he has all of the authority of his homeland while living in a foreign land. An ambassador, the ambassador to Mexico, the ambassador of Mexico who lives here. When they live on an embassy, they are on actually Mexican land. Like it's owned by the, it's a sovereign territory of the nation of Mexico. Even though it happens to be in Houston or in San Antonio. And and on that land, they have all of the authority of where they come from. Every time they speak, they speak with authority from where they come from. They don't speak with authority of this nation. They said, no, 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 I'm a resident somewhere else. I'm a citizen somewhere else. I've got authority over there. That's why, look at me in the eyes, that's why when you pray, when you go to your kids' rooms that are going crazy, when you go to your bedroom tonight and your marriage is falling apart, when you go to that refrigerator knowing there's addiction, knowing there's problems, knowing I don't know what to do, when you sit around the kitchen table with a marriage that's broken, When you pray, we pray in authority. How do you end your prayers? In Jesus' name. Now listen to me. In Jesus' name is not abracadabra. That's not the same thing. Abracadabra is what an illusionist does when he's trying to take your attention away. It's just like it happened by magic. When you pray, when you anoint the sick with oil, when you go to your kids' bedrooms who are going crazy and addicted and strung out, and you pray in Jesus' name, you're not just praying abracadabra. What you're doing is invoking all of the authority that you have from where you come from. All power in heaven and earth is in Jesus. So when I prophesy and pray to you in Jesus' name, I'm saying, hey, I can't fix this, but Jesus can. I can't change anything, but Jesus can. I don't have any power, but I'm not here in my own power. I'm here in Jesus' name. Shout amen to that. Y'all see what I mean about that little bishop? I'm an ambassador of who they are. I've got the same authority they have. Look at me in the eyes as we come to a close. You don't have to live in a world that tells you you got to be this way. You just got to change. No, no, no. I don't have to change the world. I don't have to change for the world. I have to change the world. I don't have to change what I think. God is, is, is the litmus test in my life. I'm not from here. I'm just an ambassador of somewhere else. And Daniel said, you know what, guys? I appreciate what you have here at Babylon. I really do. But I'm not from around here. I'm going to live my life in such a way that I can stand up when everybody else bows down.
that my life is different so I can make a difference. That, that I, I, I'm not from a, listen, my citizenship is in heaven. This world really isn't my home. And all of the authority that heaven has, you have. We are, write this down, we are ambassadors. And this looks like a high school, looks like a middle school, looks like a movie theater, but this is an embassy. What a culture who's gone crazy and the world who seems upside down and everything seems so backwards and I don't know what we're going to do and I watch the news and I'm on Facebook and everything seems like and we're in war and what's happening and politics and race and the abuse and there's so much crazy. The world is so backwards. What do we do? I represent where I come from. I'm an ambassador and this church is... Our embassy. That's why I think you ought to jump on a team. That's why I think you ought to join a, a local church because we need more ambassadors to represent the place we come from in a land that isn't our home. So how do we respond to culture? Let me give you the easy way. How, how do we respond to culture? So tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like what do I do when I'm confronted with? What do I do when I watch the news and it says one thing, but I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. How did Jesus respond? John 1, write this down and we'll close our notes. John 1 says this, that the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory. The only begotten of the Father, a, a God's only Son, the one and only Son of God who came from the Father, listen, full of grace and full of truth. How do I stand firm in a world that's gone crazy? How do I live my life that honors God? And when culture seems to be going a different way, I'll tell you two ways. Write these down. Wherever you're taking notes, write these down. The, the only ways you can change the world, the only way you can confront culture when the world's gone crazy, the only way you can do it in love well is this way. you got to do it with grace because we all need a Savior. Do it with grace because God saved you. Do it with grace because it could be your kids, could be your marriage. Do it with grace because Jesus came full of grace. As a matter of fact, that biblically it's called the law of first mentioned. Grace is first. If you'll lead with grace, you'll win more. You've you, you got you to change the world with grace because everybody needs, listen, I'm not better than anybody else in this world. You look into my eyes. Your sin isn't any better than theirs. There is no two different hells, one for you and one for everybody else. So lead with grace because everybody needs a Savior. And then lead with truth because it's really the only thing that can set people free. You want, to, you want to change culture. You, you want to stand firm. You want to, you, you want to do what Jesus did. If, start with grace because everybody is broken. You're in a room this weekend sitting by people who, even though they may smile and hold hands, things aren't well. Even though on the outside everything looks okay and, and, and we had a nice car when we drove to church this weekend and everything, nice house and it just, no, 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 you don't know what they're facing. You don't know how weak they are. You don't know how close they are to crumbling. Lead with grace. 
if you're going to change the world. But lead with truth. Because it's really the only thing that can set people free. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will. Actually, the, the best translation says make you free. <laughs> you ever opened the gate for an animal and said, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And they wouldn't come out. You had to go in and kind of push them out. Anybody know what I'm, I'm from the country. Y'all got to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> truth doesn't just say, come on. Truth says, hey, 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 I'll walk with you. I'll help you get out of this. I'll stay beside you. We'll, we'll figure this out together. As a matter of fact, there may be people in this room this weekend who need someone to stand with them and walk with them. You may need grace because God is dealing with you about something and you may need truth because you need set free. With every head bowed and every eye closed and every location in San Antonio and here in Houston, every room that we're in, if you need grace because you seem broken and you say, man, I want to make a difference, but honestly, I need a difference. If you need truth, if you need somebody to tell you, hey, listen, God can rescue you from that. It doesn't have to always be that way. God can change anything, fix anybody, heal anybody, deliver anybody. You, you may need truth that says, hey, I'm a sinner. i got to admit that. But the greatest gift that I can give you today is to tell you Jesus is here to forgive you and cleanse you from your past. And it happens the moment that you ask God to save you. The Bible says if you will confess, your, if, we're, if we're faithful to confess, then God is faithful to forgive. You've got a role to play, though. You got to confess, you got to repent, you got to admit, listen, I need God, I need you, I need you to make me brand new. So if you're here today, no one's looking around, wherever you are, whatever location, San Antonio and Houston, no one's looking. Our team's in place. If you just say, Pastor Mitch, I need to be included in this prayer, like I can't pray this prayer for you, but I can pray it along with you. If you say, man, I know I need that grace and truth, I want to change the world, but I need a change in my world. If that's you, no one's looking but me, just raise your hand all over the room right now. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Include me in that prayer. Now, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Because of Jesus, I don't have to carry around my shame, my guilt, my sin, my problems. I don't have to, I, I don't have to carry around everything I've done. I cast all of that on Jesus. Come on, if your hand's raised, you need to pray something that sounds like this. I cast all of that on Jesus. As a matter of fact, everybody in the room, why don't you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need hope. Save me today. Rescue me from me. Forgive me of my past. Cleanse me of my stuff. Give me a future that's attached to you. Be the Lord of my life. Every area of my life. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. Come on, shout in Jesus' name. That authority from heaven. Shout amen. Come on, let's celebrate several people that said yes to Jesus. Come on, celebrate.